as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the 6-4 Impala Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Board as Hell podcast. I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot. I am Andy Wilson, aka Citizen Bot, also a Big Shiny Robot. And I am Brooke Heim, back again. Yay! Yeah, so, we've got three movies for you this week, which unfortunately I have not been able to see because work sucks. Um, but uh, Andy and Brooke are here to talk to you about London Has Fallen, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, and Disney Zootopia. Um, Brooke, why don't you start us off with London Has Fallen? All right, so London Has Fallen is a sequel to Olympus Has Fallen. And if you've seen Olympus Has Fallen, then you have seen London Has Fallen. The movie itself was... It went through a lot of transition before it was produced. It started off with the original um, director of Anton Fuqua, but then through... A series of creative differences uh, ended up being produced with Baba Najafi. So creative differences means he could tell it was turning into a stinker, right? Yeah, meaning I'm not putting my name on this, I'm going to walk away. Which, unfortunately, probably should have been the case. It was supposed to have been released in October, got pushed back and pushed back, and and we're seeing it now. Um, I would watch... Gerard Butler in almost anything, including this, and uh, while he is very handsome, um, there are points at which the script itself is laughable. It's supposed to be intense and dramatic, and instead you find yourself laughing at the pure ridiculousness of the things that they are saying. Um, It starts out with a bombing of a terrorist family, and... You cut to the death of a prime minister and everyone having to come in from all across the world, all the heads of state for every country and uh, the concerns being security. How do we keep all these people safe? How do we keep the president, who is the same president as the first one, how do we keep all these people safe so that we don't end up in another situation like we were before. And um, Aaron Eckhart is back as the president again. And I'll, I'll say right off from the very beginning, if you do the math on this, seeing as the White House is completely rebuilt and there's no problems with it anymore, there had to have been some time between the first and second movies. Mm-hmm. But you have the same president, you have the same cabinets. Like, there's been zero changes in this dude's presidential, like, house, the cabinet, everything. Everyone is the same. Like, statistically and timeline-wise, like, it just doesn't add up. Like, not all of the exact same people would be in this movie again. But if you can get past that, they're still trying to keep the president safe. So they, they head over there, they're planning for everything, and... Of course, Mike Banning is having problems with it from the very beginning. He doesn't feel right. It feels too okay. It feels too orchestrated, too perfect. And uh, you get about 15 minutes in, just like the first movie, and everything starts blowing up. And it's all about how do we keep 
President Safe, how do we get him out? How do we make sure that he does not become subject to this terrorist family who didn't actually die in the bombing of the first five minutes of the movie? And from there, you're basically watching the second movie, or the first movie all over again. And nothing changes. So you're telling me that the script is laughable because it's essentially a rehash of the first movie. No, no. Like, the first movie was actually well-written. It was was pretty good. Yeah, it it was a good movie. And I think part of my problem was that I hadn't seen the first movie, so I finished it an hour before going to see this one. And so having seen it that recently and then going to see this one... It was it was pretty spot on to the first movie, except that the first movie was good. Like there are parts in this movie where he's like holding people while they're dying, and they look up at him and they're like, "I never thought you'd outlive me." <laughs> Curse you for your inevitable betrayal. Yes. Like, it's so bad. It's so so bad. And then they try to make a point of, like, women being awesome, and they're like, oh, you don't want to mess with her when she's angry. And you're like, really? Really? But your, your testosterone is not actually helping. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> so, that's, that's terrible. Don't, don't mess with her. It's the time of the month. <laughs> yeah, basically. That's, that's how it's coming off. Um, it's, it's definitely a dick flick instead of a chick flick, and... It's just, uh, <laughs> there's not much more to say about it. You get to see things blow up. The action sequences are loud and explosive and full of men. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so where are you at on this? This one? Oh, jeez. I would be a 2 out of 10. Yeah. It's not. It, I mean. <laughs> Sounds about right. I mean, and. That's where and I you... would fit on this. You go look at the scores on Metacritic and Rotten Tomato, and they're in pretty much the same place. Um, speaking of chick flick versus dick flick, next up, you and I both got to see Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, which is Faye playing a real life journalist Kim Barker, but in this movie, she is Kim Baker. Uh, important difference there. This is based on Barker's memoir, The Taliban Shuffle, Strange Days in Afghanistan and Pakistan. And so, of course, Tina Fey as producer and Robert Carlock, her longtime writing companion who worked with her on Saturday Night Live, on 30 Rock, helped co-create Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, They changed that into the much more catchy Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, which, if you know anything about the military's alphabet, and then that spells WTF. And that, of course, means... Yeah, uh, <laughs> this movie is about Afghanistan. Uh, specifically, uh, Tina Fey's character, Kim, is doing a desk job as a news producer in New York. She has a long-term boyfriend, but they're they're kind of stuck in a rut, and she is feeling herself kind of stuck in a rut. And they're like, hey, we need people to go to Afghanistan. It's 2003. Everyone is moving over to start talking about Iraq. Nobody wants to cover Afghanistan because it's not as sexy. It's kind of getting forgotten. But there's still crap getting blown up all across the country. So they're looking for volunteers. And she says, sure, I'll go for three months. And, of course, three months turns into three years as 
uh, she gets addicted to what they like to call the bubble, uh, which is the bubble around the journalists in Kabul, where they start suddenly thinking that, yeah, this is how life is supposed to be with bombs going off and wild parties with your uh, with your coworkers and all the other foreign journalists who were there. Uh, things get kind of weird pretty fast, and she gets put into very dangerous situations. And uh, it's it's a very eye-opening and interesting look at what was actually happening in Afghanistan. Uh, and by the end of the movie, you're mostly left with this feeling of like, wow, we really screwed that whole thing up. Um, but at the same time, uh, they kind of look back and they're like, yeah, but Afghanistan's basically been screwed up for forever. We can point back to the Russian invasion and the British Empire and uh, the years and years and centuries of chaos that have been on that country. So this is just one little moment in time. Apart from Tina Fey, who does an absolutely fantastic job and actually has to act in this movie. It's not that I don't think that what she's done as Liz Lemon or in other movies is not acting, but she really gets to show a lot of dramatic character chops here, and that's really refreshing. Uh, she's joined by Margot Robbie, who kind of becomes her BFF there on the ground as the the two female journalists who are out there working on this. Uh, you've also got Martin Freeman, uh, who was The Hobbit, and he plays a, a British photojournalist uh, who everyone's like, oh yeah, that guy's a major a-hole. Uh, you've got Alfred Molina playing the Attorney General of Afghanistan, who keeps trying to turn Tina Fey into his very special friend, which is pretty funny. And uh, Billy Bob Thornton as a as a Marine General, who she ends up manipulating to get a lot of what she wants, but is mostly annoyed at having this female journalist embedded uh, with his troops. Um, there's a lot of fun things going on here, and if there's one problem with this, it feels maybe a tiny little bit long, but I'm not sure where you'd cut. There's a lot here that blends the the funny and the heartfelt, uh, the introspective and the absurd, and I think it was just really well put together, and I have to really credit uh the, the writer here of Carlock who he knows what Tina Fey can do as an actress and he gives her that role and she really delivers on that so I, I think they did a great job Brooke what did you think? Well I'm really glad to hear you say that because the people that I went and saw it with most of them weren't really a fan of the movie at all and I was shocked because I loved it I really did love it it did feel a little bit long in some parts but um, I thought Tina Fey did great. I thought I thought all of them did a fantastic job in acting. Um, it was exactly what I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know why everyone else was like, oh, they build it as like a super funny, like over-the-top comedy, and that's not what it was, And it, which it wasn't. That's not what it was. And I guess knowing that it was about Afghanistan and her real-life experiences there, I didn't expect it to be all about the humor because that's not what life is over there. But 
I thought there's one part in the movie when she is at a wedding and the, there's three women there and they're all telling their story like why are they here like what's their story and Tina Fey and I guess it's kind of a pivotal part in the mo movie so I won't like ruin exactly what she says but she's telling her story about being in the gym and figuring out why she was going to leave her life and go there and have this experience for three months which you already said was not three months and <laughs> the, she gets done talking and the one girl looks at her and goes wow that is the whitest white girl story I have ever heard <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and and it was and she knew that it was and I think that's kind of the point though is that like because one person who saw the movie was like Tina Fey was the least interesting character I don't know why this movie is about her I disagree but I also kind of think that that was the point was that everything that was going on around her was so much more interesting and everything that was her life was so mind-numbing to her that she left and decided to do more and to see more and to experience more of what the world actually had to offer around her and through her experiences there became more than what she was yeah and i really liked the way that they showed that i'm glad that they didn't make her the most interesting character because she wasn't and that that was the point to me the most interesting character in this is afghanistan and what's going on there and the whole point of being a journalist is it's not supposed to be about you and when the story does become about you you have failed in your job so I, I thought that this would this felt very true to me and knowing that it's based on a real journalist that made it all the more real to me in in a lot of ways this reminded me of MASH in that it it was very deadly serious in a lot of ways because they're like hey we're talking about the horrors of war but at the same time there was this this funny bent on top of it and it was it it was such a great blend of those things that it never felt felt like oh hey we're making light of this situation a lot of it was very gallows humor a lot of it was it just felt like real life and how you would deal with this situation if you were stuck in it how you cope with it so i i really enjoyed it as you know kind of a an exercise of rumination on you know what has happened in the last 15 years in afghanistan and how that final scene which i i kind of mentioned and i don't want to spoil but I, I feel like that is the heart of the movie where she blames herself for certain things that have happened and they're just like yeah. no you're, you're not the center of this Afghanistan has always been screwed up and in the same way we can feel that same way like look at it and be like you know we tried to go in and we tried to defeat the Taliban and it metastasized into all of these other weird things and Afghanistan is still royally in a WTF situation that's hundreds of years of history 
that like we can either be like, oh yeah, that was totally because of us. Yeah, it was partially because of us, but it's also partially because of a lot of other big important things. And and so I again, I just I felt that this was very honest and very true. I feel the same way, and you know, you guys know me. I take everything from a feminist viewpoint because it's just the only one I have. So huh. watching this movie from my point of view, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Like it, it showed them being strong. It showed them pushing through situations and taking things into their own hands, be it right or wrong, and learning and becoming and growing more than what they were at the beginning of the movie. And I think her experiences and the way that she like internalizes them and and then decides to act on them show a lot of development. And I think one of the things that at the end that they say is you're giving yourself too much credit. Like this isn't because of you. I think that as a whole, like as a country, we've given ourselves too much credit over there. I think as individuals within our lives, like I think there's this fine balance of learning to take accountability for the things that we do in our life while at the same time not giving ourselves either too much credit or beating ourselves up for things that aren't necessarily ours to control and seeing her grow and become this different person on the other side of it and walking away from certain things because of what she wants to build for her life. I just, I found it a very, very, very good movie. I really enjoyed it a lot. And I laughed a lot. Uh, me and our friend Brooks that was on the podcast last week, we walked out and said, we may have been the only two laughing that hard, <laughs> but everyone was laughing and it was, it was a really good balance between all of the emotions. I was in a mostly empty theater and I laughed really hard a lot of times. I laughed... I laughed more in this than I did in Zoolander. So you know, I, I think that says something about how good this this comedy is. Uh, but mostly I just walk away from this feeling very impressed with, with Tina Fey and her acting and producing abilities. And to deliver herself a product that she knew she could deliver on. So I'm at like a 7 out of 10. Um, I, this movie isn't for everyone, but if you're looking for something that's that's kind of serious, kind of fun, and you want to maybe think a little bit about Afghanistan, this is a great movie for you. Yeah, I'm at the same place. I, I was going back and forth between like a six and a half to seven, but I think I would stick with a solid seven out of ten on this. Yeah. I really awesome. enjoyed it. I did too. Speaking of really enjoying it, we also got to see Zootopia, which I'm not going to lie, I think is the best movie to come out so far in 2016. This comes from directors Byron Howard, who directed Tangled, and Rich Moore, who directed Wreck-It Ralph. And that should tell you the quality of this movie right there. Um, this, this stars Jennifer Goodwin, as a little bunny named Judy Hopps, and she is Zootopia's first ever bunny police officer. She moved in from the sticks to this giant metropolis where predator and prey live side by side in happiness in 12 different biome zones. There's a rainforest area, there's a tundra area, 
there's a there's a little tiny town for the rodents. It's it's great the way that they've built this world for them. Um, but she is a part of a kind of affirmative action program for prey to join things like the police force, uh, which have traditionally gone to alpha predators. The only problem is her police chief, who is a water buffalo played by Idris Elba, who is one of the best parts of this movie, uh, says, nope, I don't care if you were top of the class at the academy, you are on parking duty. So she's out trying to prove herself, uh, setting records for writing the most tickets ever. And of course, people are mad at her in all of the ways that people get mad at traffic cops. And uh, But she ends up stumbling onto a con artist, Fox, uh, played by Jason Bateman. And they kind of become fast frenemies. And uh, she ends up um, kind of overcommitting herself to solving uh, this this case of a disappearance, uh, which is part of a string of disappearances of of a bunch of different predators from across Zootopia. And she says, "Yes, I'll do it." And the chief is like, "Yeah, okay. If you fail at this, you're out." So literally turns into 48 hours at this point. This, this becomes your classic buddy cop flip with, um, you know, the, the mismatched partners and the one guy who's only there because he has to and he's irascible and funny. And along the way, they play with a lot of the stereotypes of, uh, of animals and, and so on. Uh, so, like, we've all seen in the trailers, if you've seen the trailer... Uh, the, the slots at the DMV and like all of that uh, permeates this movie and it just becomes really fun as they as they track down this big case um, the like I said this main cast is amazing uh, Goodwin and Bateman are absolutely amazing but even better uh, is this supporting cast I mentioned Idris Elba you've also got Shakira as a very curvy gazelle who is uh, the town's biggest pop star. Uh, J.K. Simmons and Jenny Slate play the lion and lamb mayor and deputy mayor. Uh, so that, that tells you a little bit right there about that. Um, of course, that's, that's a lot of fun. Uh, you get Alan Tudyk uh, showing up in a cameo making fun of his previous voice work in Frozen. Uh, that's a really great little Easter egg for people who are uh, really into into Disney and love that. Uh, and you've got people like John DiMaggio and uh, Morris LaMarche who show up in, in other supporting roles. Morris LaMarche shows up as Mr. Big, uh, the head of the mafia, uh, in, which in one of the great tiny roles in this movie. Uh, this movie is just incredibly well thought out, well plotted, well placed, and even more than that, I think that there is this undercurrent that is really very important. Uh, the kid's message is believe in your dreams and you can be whatever you want, but there's even more there, and I want to go into that, but first I want to hear what Brooke thought about it. 
I think this movie was brilliant. Like, I really, really enjoyed it. There's so many messages in this movie. The way that they laid them all out, the believe in your dreams. Like, there are several times that I cried during this movie. And each of them were for, like, a different reason. Like, I, I took my daughter. I took uh, her half-brother with us. And we were surrounded by kids from every age level. Like, my kids were four and six and there was a girl who was probably eight sitting next to us there were a couple of um eight to twelve year olds behind us there were two teenagers over to the side and all of us there with parents or grandparents and um everyone was laughing everyone was enjoying it and every single one regardless of age was taking something from the movie which i just thought was phenomenal the there are so many grown-up jokes that work for the kids but that play off of other movies and other jokes and other uh, cameos that I just thought was really really fun they did it they did a great job with that and um, like that breaking bad joke that that just had yeah, me rolling that the was breaking hilarious. bad joke was so funny and and it was really nice to have only adults laughing at that <laughs> like if you go and and there are um, a bunch of kids laughing at that joke. You know those are bad parents. So ah. they've done it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just, it was, it was really, really well done. There were so many more messages in this movie than I, than I thought would be there. My only negative critique about this movie is that I feel like they tried to attack so many social issues from so many different angles in one movie. And, yep. and I felt like it got a little too heavy. It got a little too overladen with these, these different themes. And that's the only thing. Like I, I, I don't know if you guys have seen the new Android commercial, the paper, rock, scissors, Android commercial that's out there. Have you guys seen this? I have not. I have not. It's an anti-bullying commercial where you've got this piece of paper being picked on and the scissors come and, like, save it. And then you see this rock getting picked on and the paper goes and saves the rock while the scissors hide because the rocks can crush scissors. And and then at the end, like, all three of them are, like, walking away. It's like a 30-second spot. It's, and I feel like in some ways... <laughs> The anti-bullying message is more clear in that commercial than it was in this whole movie. Mm-hmm. Just because it was like one new thing after another. And and so while I feel like it was a little over heavy with those things, I, it kind of works for it in being a classic movie. Like kids are going to be able to watch it over and over. And as they grow older and older, they're going to be able to continue to watch this movie and take more out of it each time. Um, I don't think it's necessarily bad that all these themes are in this movie. I just think it's going to take several viewings for kids to take everything out of it that they that they is there to be taken from it. Absolutely. There's so much. There's so much. It, so, it is. On a first viewing, it's a little heavy, but again, it's going to make it something that they can watch several, several times and continue to learn from. I just felt that this was very now and very 2016 especially given our 
the the time and space we occupy politically right now. Trump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, seriously. So my ten year old daughter went with me to the screening, and we were talking afterwards about like the secret plot and what they were doing and. Uh, what they were really trying to do was disrupt the social order and try and turn the predators and prey against one another uh, in order for certain people to get more power. And my, we were talking about that, and, and my daughter literally said, that's just like Donald Trump blaming the Mexicans and the Muslims. And I'm like, yes, you are my daughter. You have been listening. <laughs> but that is... Uh, you know, it's very true. And when we have uh, a, a female candidate who is likely to be the nominee or come very close to being the nominee again, uh, you know, this this idea that yes, you can be anything. Yes, you you can, uh, but you do have to deal with these prejudices that people will have against you. People don't think that a bunny would make a good cop. Uh, people think that even though the the predators are uh, in some ways kind of a protected class, and people uh, people look at them as you know, obviously the mayor is a lion. They uh, they control the police force, etc. People still don't trust the predators. They're like, oh, those sneaky predators, and you know they're. They're kind of violent. They're they're kind of big, and um, what I loved most about all of this, though, was that our main character that we're supposed to follow along with, Jenny Hops, has to deal with her own prejudices. She is both a victim of prejudices against herself, but she also has them, and. In that, I think, is the most beautiful lesson of this entire movie. And that, that's the one that I hope kids will walk away with. That they'll be like, I can still be bullied and still be picked on and still be guilty of doing the same thing to other people. And, yeah. and, and that's where I think the, the heart of this comes in. And yeah, they, they bit off maybe a bit more than they could chew... My only real problem with this is it's not quite as good as Tangled or Wreck-It Ralph. Um, especially Wreck-It Ralph had a very straightforward message. Uh, and this is kind of all over the place, but because there's so much. And if you're dealing with an issue like prejudice, social justice, bullying, equality... Uh, what that looks like, etc. It it is very complicated, and I wouldn't expect most adult movies to be able to talk about them as presciently as this. So I still think that they did a really great job with that. Yeah, I mean they covered. I guess that's just it. Like Wreck It Ralph, I feel like was a more straightforward message. But the thing that I really did like about this movie is that life isn't straightforward, and so when when our kids are dealing with those things exactly what you said like being able to take an honest look at yourself and see that you can do bad things for the right reason and and that was one of the quotes from the movies i'm doing the wrong things for the right reason that's a hard truth to have to swallow is that sometimes yep. it can still be the wrong thing 
regardless of your reason and you have to relook at it and you have to find a better way and I felt I felt like this movie was just it was great I you know wish we could force feed it to Trump supporters everywhere <laughs> across the world um, I, I, I don't think that they'd understand it but they wouldn't they wouldn't listen like it's so well I can't I can't whatever I hate to make a blanket statement about people like that, but I mean, with the kids, we walked out and I said, okay guys, what did you learn from this movie? And my daughter's brother who's six, he goes, I learned that wild animals are bad. So it's like, oh God, that was not the point of this movie. You missed it. You like, entirely missed it. And I was like, well, no, I mean, it showed us that everyone is different. He's like, okay. Well, then I learned two things. Like he, It took him about five minutes. We walked all the way out of the theater. We're almost to the car, and he goes, Brooke, I learned two things from this movie. And I said, okay, what'd you learn, honey? He goes, I learned that you have to get to know people and know them for who they are first. And I was like, okay, that's good. And he goes, and that wild animals are bad. <laughs> that, that's... Kids... All right, kids dude. are awesome, uh, you know. <laughs> but then, like my my seven year old son, when we when we went to go see Jurassic World because he loves dinosaurs, so of course we took him to see Jurassic World. Judge all you want, but he loved it, and uh, I mean he cried at the end when the Indominus Rex died, and Aww. so I'm like, you really took away the wrong message about that movie, didn't you? <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> we yeah. had a good time, and and that's uh, that's ultimately all you can ask from from a lot of movies. And this this is a very good time. And then there are a lot of messages that you can take in various different ways. I I feel like the film was both incredibly overt and yet multi layered. Like it it did kind of hit you with those messages, but there's so many of them. It's like getting smashed by, like, a hundred-foot-wide pancake. It's like, yeah, it's big, but it's so big and kind of light that it it doesn't quite crush you. And, and it's still the, a pancake, and everybody loves pancakes. Everybody does love pancakes. <laughs> I don't like pancakes. I like waffles. <laughs> fine. You can have waffles, Adam. That's fine. Um... <laughs> One thing that I would say is that for parents who are taking younger kids, my daughter, who's four, spent a lot of the movie in my lap because she was scared. Like there, it was a from the very beginning. It starts off pretty intense, and there is a lot of up and down emotion of this. So when you're taking your kids in, just know going into it that there are some pretty scary moments in this that are good moments for them to have and they are good um it's good scares i guess like it it yeah. leads into the rest of the movie very seamlessly and very purposefully it's not like they're making it scary for no reason it was it was a good experience all around but um just know that if you have younger kids if they're pretty sensitive to stuff like that that there are going to be some moments in there yeah it's it's disney scary i mean we've had scary moments in a lot of other Disney movies. I mean, geez, go back and look at Snow White and Sleeping Beauty. There's stuff that's like kind of almost terrifying in that. I and think this one hits 
that terrifying mark. Like, maybe it's because I'm sensitive to my kids, but there are some pretty scary parts in this movie. I was like, oh my god. Yep, there's some there's some but, decently intense stuff here. I, I think it's good. Yeah, yeah, but ultimately, um, I I can't recommend this movie enough. No. Uh, and and so overall, I'm at I'm at an eight and a half out of ten. And yeah, this is the best movie to come out this year so far. Yeah, um, I will say, just in a little bit of contradiction to Andy, I think this movie is a whole hell of a lot better than Tangled. Um, oh, I love Tangled. Uh, <laughs> okay, that's fine. It's Tangled is one that. I wish it didn't exist. Um, but Wreck-It Ralph, I I liked. Um, I don't know if I liked it more than or the same amount as this one, but I thought Wreck-It Ralph was one of the best movies for kids to come out in a long, long time. So I give this movie a solid 9 out of 10. I, I really, really, truly loved it. I loved it for my kids. I loved it for the rest of their lives, and I liked it for me. So 9 out of 10. Uh, go see it. Everyone go see it. It's it's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of things that were beautiful, last week we had the Oscars, and if you followed our predictions, we <coughs> we did pretty well. Adam, why don't why don't we talk about what we got right and what we almost got right? Um, I, well, we pretty much got almost everything, and the only the, the two that we missed were pretty much the two that everyone else did. Um, but first, let's kind of go into you know, what we did well. So we talked about uh, cinematography, did very well mm-hmm. to Emmanuel Lubezki for The Revenant, which is yep. the first time um, a cinematographer has three-peated and won three years in a row for Best Cinematography. Uh, Best Supporting Actress went to Elise McCander for The Danish Girl. Again, that was no surprise there. Um, one of the f- big upsets of the night, though, uh, which you know, I was totally fine with, was Mark Rylance winning Best Supporting Actor for... Uh, Bridge of Spies. In fact, if you remember back when uh, we talked about this, we all called Sylvester Stallone. We said it was, hey, it's, it's his legacy award, it's his time. Um, he won the SAG award. Everyone was calling it, and um, I, I think it was a big surprise for everyone when they called Mark Rylance's name. Um, it was a good surprise, though. I was perfectly fine with that. I was very, very happy, uh, but still didn't see it coming. Uh, best supporting actor, uh, excuse me, best uh, actor went to Leo, Leo DiCaprio who uh, took his time up there to not only really so much thank the audience, but kind of talk about his views on climate change and... Yay! You know, pissed off all the conservatives, which is always it was always fun. Um, oh, crap, who was Beth Actress? Didn't Brie Larson win? Oh, yeah, yeah. Brie Larson uh, won for Beth Actress. Oh, sure, you forget the women. Yeah, I know. Uh, which, again, was totally called for. Uh, best Director was in YouTube for The Revenant, uh, and then the biggest kind of move of the night was Best Picture going to Spotlight. Um, you know, they say, oh, you know, the Oscars are political, blah, 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 this and that. And this kind of proves it. I mean, Spotlight only won one award the whole night, which was for screenplay. Um, so for it to miss out and not even really get nominated for the big awards and then get Best Picture uh, was kind of the Academy's way of, let's just be honest, shitting on the Catholic Church. Um no, it's, it's true. You know, they, yeah, they, a little bit. Huh? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, they, they picked a political movie, um, and it's funny because the Catholic Church has come out and said this movie isn't, you know, it's not bash on Catholics, it's a true story, it's very important, and we, we support this movie, 
Uh, but there really was no other reason for this to win. Um, there were better movies out there last year. Um, so I think that was kind of the big surprise that all of us kind of walked out going, you know, what the hell was that? Uh, I still stand by the fact that I think Mad Max should have won. Uh, and actually, Mad Max did win. It won the most Oscars. It won all the technical awards. Uh, so we were all sitting in the broobies yelling witness at the screen every time it won something. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I mean, Chris Rock did an excellent job with the Oscar so white. I mean, he was hilarious. Tons of jokes. I mean, almost cringeworthy jokes, you know, about lynchings and grandma hanging from a tree. And yeah. But it was on point. Uh, it was definitely political. But I, a lot of good thoughts, so. The one thing I have to say about Spotlight is I feel like I really did like that movie. I liked it a lot. It didn't end up in my top ten, but I felt it is the kind of movie that gets nominated for Academy Awards. But what it says to me is the fact that that uh, its actors didn't win in their respective categories, but really when it comes right down to what makes that movie great is that cast and the chemistry that they all had together and it reminds me that one of the ways that I feel the Academy can really help increase diversity and and showcase diversity is to have an award for a best ensemble cast and then that just becomes whatever you want and that that could be like Spotlight would be a film where that is definitely all of those actors working together become more than just the sum of their parts. Leave Schreiber and John Slattery don't deserve to be nominated for a Best Supporting Actor for that movie. Uh, absolutely Mark Ruffalo did, but all of them put in amazing work, and all of them working together is what made that film work. So I'd like to see that. I would also like to see the Academy get over itself and um, start nominating people in uh, in roles who, who do motion capture. And if they're not going to go ahead and like give uh, a Best Actor nomination for playing Caesar in Planet of the Apes to Andy Serkis, then they need to create categories for like best special performance in motion capture or voice acting, because I, I mean I think the three of us would agree that if we were to look at 2015, then Lupita Nyong'o should have won, and the visual effects team should have won for uh, for Maz Kanata in Star Wars: The Force Awakens. That she did an amazing job in bringing that character to life, and she was one of the best performances in the of the entire year and if you again if you want to increase diversity i think that would have been a, a great place to do it and uh you know the academy's just kind of stuck in a rut and if they if they had done that i think that they would have uh, you know you would have more people showing up who were in supporting roles like look at the cast of the martian uh, that was a very diverse cast. I think you could have, uh, I think you could have included that as as one of those, and start giving people uh, opportunities to win Academy Awards for things like this. 
I mean, yeah, they, they've got to do something to make because the Academy Awards, while they're fun, and you know, we, we have, I enjoy predicting them and seeing them and you know reacting to the winners and losers. They're, they're kind of becoming less and less relevant. I mean, uh, this was like one of the lowest years ever for you know, people watching watching the awards and uh, attendance is down. And because it's become political and because there's so much you know brouhaha around everything that's, that's been going on, is you know you can, when you say oh this is like this movie was a nine-time Academy Award winner or this and that, it doesn't quite mean the same as it did anymore. I mean, people don't really care. And that could be because, you know, you're, you're getting films nominated that no one's seen. So it's a really good thing that, you know, they did open it up. So up to 10 movies can be nominated. And right getting things like The Martian and Mad Max finally kind of getting their due. But the, I think the films that are winning are good films. At least it's not like it was a good film. It wasn't best of the year. No, no. It's, I mean, it, it, it's the same way. Like you can look at movies from a movie critic standpoint, and then the average person goes to the movie theater. The average person probably goes to the movie theater and they they like the Transformers because they're big blowing up explosions. And then you know people like us who go, we hate those movies because we've seen the same tropes over and over and over again. And the last fifty movies we saw this month, so. We have it from a different viewpoint, so maybe being "quote unquote" filmmaking professionals, members of the Academy, have a different viewpoint on what the, what makes like you know again "quote unquote" good movie. But the movies they pick seem to be disassociated from the average you know moviegoer, or even the the average film critic, um, because again they're picking things I, I think for the wrong reason. I think that's fair, and. I, I think that I mean, you could ask yourself what's what's the actual value of an Oscar? I mean, for a movie like Mad Max or Star Wars, it's like you no, know, they already kind of did pretty well. Uh, you take a movie like Brooklyn or Room, though, and they're like, well, oh, that was up for Best Picture. Like, there will probably be a few more people who will go and check those out, regardless of whether they were necessarily like. Those were actually the best of the year. Uh-huh. Anyway, so it was it was it was fun. We had a good time. Um, I think again, very few surprises. I actually did pretty well out of all. I think twenty four awards. I picked twenty of them, so I was pretty excited and I was pretty proud of myself for that. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's a fun time. Uh, we just go go to Ruby's, have a couple drinks, and then heckle people during your <laughs> except. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's going to be it for us this week on uh, Board as Hell. Next week, the only really big thing that I will be seeing is 10 Cloverfield Lane. But Andy, you are going to do South by Southwest, so briefly tell us what you're going to see there. Yay, South by Southwest starts on Friday. Uh, the, the big news is on Friday morning, I'm going to hang out with my main man, Barack Obama, uh, who is coming and giving a keynote address at the South by Southwest Interactive Conference. And uh, then later that night, uh, we get to see the world premiere of Richard Linklater's uh, follow-up to Dazed and Confused, uh, where that was a very 70s movie. We've moved on to the 80s, and we will see Everybody Wants Some. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of Linklater. Austin is a company town for Linklater, essentially. This will be a great place to premiere that. Um, especially as as much as Dazed and Confused is about 
being in Austin in the 70s. Uh, then Saturday, we'll get to see Midnight Special, which is a, a sci-fi thriller about uh, a kid who has some sort of superpowers. We don't know exactly what those are, except that he has glowy eyes and terrible things happen. Uh, and he's on the run along with his parents, uh, who include Michael Shannon, General Zod, uh, and uh, Kylo Ren, Adam Driver, is on their trail as some sort of a journalist trying to find out exactly what's going on. I don't know much more about this movie other than that and what I've seen in the trailer. Looks fantastic. Can't wait to see that. And then all of the other movies that are at the festival, but I'll definitely have reviews for both of those uh, next week. And maybe a couple of other things that I'll have managed to see by then. But then uh, that goes on for the uh, for the week after, so I'll have lots more film festival movies uh, the week after that as well. Nice. Cool. Um, so that'll take us to the end of this week. Thank you, and thank you very much for uh, listening to us. Brooke, thanks always again for visiting. Uh, look forward to uh, having you next week. But until then, hail Satan and have a lovely afternoon. Punk ass tripping, but it's alright. Homie scored a key, he's gonna 